Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We've been talking about the seven unshakable life declarations that we have taken from Psalm 27. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 27 right now if you would. The unshakable life is my goal to build into you as a concept and a conviction, hopefully an ambition that you would build with your life. My heart as a pastor is to see you not being shaken by any of the storms, any of the problems of life. We all share those storms that come against us. The winds blow, the floods rise, the rain beat upon the house, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. We know that. We know there are times with, with life that fiery trials come. There's times when we're in the valley, sometimes on the mountain. Sometimes contradictions just come right across our life. Things we really don't want to handle or talk about or look in the eye, but they come. We don't ask for them to come, but life is filled with surprises. So Jesus said, when the floods rise, when the rains beat and the winds blow, just make sure you build your house right. And if you do, that house will not fall. If you don't build it right, Jesus says the house will fall. And then he adds, and great will be the fall of that house. I'm asking you to build your house properly. I ask you to build your house according to the word of God. This is how we define the unshakable life. One who builds on the unshakable word of God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, the rock is the word. The rock is Christ. It's concrete. It's the rock we build upon. The Word of God is wise. The Word of God is proven. And the principles we're looking at are certainly absolutely anchored in the Word of God. So one who builds on the unshakable Word of God, a life that is anchored, immovable, and indestructible. A faith declaration is one that you take either from the Scripture directly, that is, you would read the Bible and actually apply those Scriptures face value right to your life. There's also faith declarations that you would take as principles or rhemas or concepts from the Bible that would be applicable to your life, that you might put your name on them and word them in such a way that you can pray them. They're faith declarations. There are prayers. A faith declaration would go something like this. One who unites the heart and mouth to declare the faith, by faith, the Word of God, and unshakable life declarations. Unshakable life declarations for you might be five or six favorite scriptures your whole life. Or they might be ten or twelve prayers you pick up during your life. Or maybe a special rhema part of a story or a character that you would build right into your prayer, and right into your whole future because it's so meaningful to you. Psalm 27 is a psalm that I'm looking at to build some life declarations. Turn Psalm 27 and verse 1. These are the seven life declarations we're taking from this psalm. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David had a lot of reason to fear a lot of things, but he said, Whom shall I fear if the Lord is my light and my salvation? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. 
We call this the I will live life strong declaration. If you write in your Bible, I think it might be a good thing to write these declarations right beside the scriptures in Psalm 27. As you read the psalm again later on in life, this month, this year, you'll look at these declarations and you'll remember this series and you'll pray these declarations. I will live life strong in the strength of God and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Say out loud with me, I will live life strong. I will live life strong. Verse 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, trouble does come. He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret place of His tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Our second declaration is I will love God's house passionately. Loving God's house passionately begins with a commitment, grows in your heart because you inquire in the temple. There's protection in the house of God. There's prayer. There's people to lift you up. You see the beauty of the Lord working in people's lives. It's an awesome thing. Then in verse 6, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer the sacrifices of joy in a tabernacle. I will sing yes. I will sing praises to the Lord. Our third declaration, I will hold my head high. Everyone say that out loud with me. I will hold my head high. There are times in life where your head can be pushed down. All of life is against you. You need to learn how to hold your head up high. David found that in prayer and in praise and the sacrifices of joy and thanksgiving. Now, we go to verse 7 and 8 this morning. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. I'd like you to underline particularly one phrase in verse 8. And when you said, seek my face, I want you to underline the three little words, my heart said, my heart said, the speaking heart. When you said, how did God say to David? Seek my face. David received communication, impulse, divine nudge, revelation, conviction. Something happened in David's heart that he understood God was saying, David, you've got to seek my face. David, I know the enemies are up against you. I know things look dark. I know there's reasons for your head to be pushed down. But you've got to lift up your head and you've got to seek my face. I am your strength. And it says not that David responded, but verse 8 says... And my heart said, your face, Lord, I will seek. The speaking heart, the heart that aligns with the word, with the spirit, with the voice of God. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of I will have an overflowing heart. And within this overflowing heart, there's a voice that rises. And the voice that rises is the voice of a living God. And I want to talk with you about that voice. You need to go to Psalm 27, verse 7 and 8. We're one slide, I'm one slide ahead of you. Now go to the next definition. There you go. All right. Thank you. This is our definition for the overflowing heart. One that I'm taking from Psalms 27, verse 7 and 8. 
And I want you to take this down. I want you to write this declaration down this morning as we're going to deal with the overflowing heart. Now, remember, Psalm 27, verse 7 says, David, seek my face. And his heart spoke to him. David, respond. And the heart said, your face, Lord, your face we will seek. David, align with that word. The heart, the core of David... The seed of passion, the seed of courage, the seed of decision, that part of him that could actually disagree with God, could actually go the other way. He immediately lined up and said, I will seek the Lord. And the heart pushed him that way. I want to speak with you and remind you about your heart, the power of your heart, and also ask you a couple of questions. When was the last time your heart spoke to you? When was the last time your heart pushed you toward what God was saying? When was the last time you were awake and early in the morning or daydreaming in a car or in a time of prayer or meditation where your heart spoke and your heart moved you toward response to something God was doing in your life? Your heart is such an important factor in your Christian living, an important factor in what we're going to say this morning. And there's one phrase I'm after in these psalms about the overflowing heart. It's not just a heart. It's an overflowing heart that brings up the voice of God. Because what flows out of you becomes the framer of your life. What flows out of your heart becomes the shaper of your boundaries. What flows out of your heart becomes the distinctives of your personality. It becomes the theme of your life. Your heart actually becomes the person that defines who you are and helps other people define who you are because your heart will not betray you. Your mouth will speak what's in your heart. People will get to know your heart even if you don't think you're showing them your heart. Even if you don't think you're revealing your heart. Even if you think you can hide what really is going on deep inside, you cannot do it. Your heart will be exposed. And David, in a dark hour, in an hour of pressure, he needed his heart to be aligned with God. A heart that would speak the right words. And out of that overflow, Out of the overflow of a heart that was right, the heart immediately grabbed onto the word and said, David, you heard what God said, and we're moving that direction. My heart said, seek the Lord, agreeing with God. What does your heart say when the word comes? What does your heart do when the Holy Spirit drops on your life? Does your heart say, don't bother with it. Ignore that. Even though your spirit feels conviction, your spirit feels the weight of God's presence, your spirit feels what should be done right, your heart can actually push away from that or agree with it. I will have an overflowing heart. Simply, I will fill my heart with word, prayer, and praise. That begins the core of your overflow. For out of my heart overflow... The inner voice of God is heard clearly, powerfully, and distinctly. So many people look for the voice of God to come from out here. They're looking for the voice of God to come from a counselor, a teacher, a preacher, a church service, a book, a movie, or worse. Some people are looking for some kind of a supernatural voice to come from a palm reader or from a magazine or a newspaper or from other areas uh, that we're not even supposed to go near, such as familiar spirits and other things that would be in the dark side. But there are many people that would not see that as darkness, but simply seeking another voice. They don't have an inner voice that's clear. They don't have a straight shot to the heart. 
Why? Well, if you don't know Christ and Christ is not in your heart, what your heart speaks to you is not good. Your heart can speak wicked things. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And so if your heart is filled with wickedness and, and lawlessness and evil and lust and adulteries and fornications, and that's what Ephesians speaks about, the heart can be filled with all kinds of immoralities and all kinds of wrong thinking and all the stuff that's wrong in the world can be dumped into your reservoir. And when something comes along and you need to respond to it, you respond out of a heart that's wicked or a heart that's disloyal or a heart that is lawless or a heart that is filled with immorality or a heart that is filled with stubbornness and selfishness. And so when God comes out of the overflow of your wicked well, comes the wrong response. Out of the overflow of your flesh-driven life comes the wrong response. And you start endorsing the wrong things. Even when God moves in, you resist. I'm asking you about your heart flow this morning. And how can we get that heart flow to the place that you can actually hear the voice of God? The voice of God is not just out here. The voice of God is right here. Right here. You don't need anything else. If you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Word of God, you have the voice of God in your life. Now, there's other ways God comes to confirm that voice. Through prophecy and through counsel and through preaching of the Word and teaching and principles and circumstances. There's all kinds of ways that God will line the Word up so you can't miss it. But it needs to start with your heart. And if it doesn't start there, it has no root, it has no foundation, it has nowhere to go. You can be tossed to and fro like Ephesians 4 speaks about. People that are tossed to and fro because they have no anchor, they have no way to root the word in a principle. They just kind of go with whatever they think is right. Not for those who are building a life of faith declaration. Not for those who are building their house properly. We're not to be tossed to and fro. We're to have a heart that has overflow. And out of our overflow is not wickedness and lust and weirdness and all the things that a wicked heart might begin to cough up into your life and kind of, in a sense, belch out. We don't want that kind of a heart. We want that heart that will have a pure river and a pure flow. And out of that pure river and that pure flow comes a clear, distinct voice of God. When I look back over my life, 30 years of ministry, it wasn't the great experiences that were pivotal points. It wasn't the great counsel, prophecy, even though I've had those and I appreciate those and they have been confirming aspects to my life. But the greatest moments of my life have been when God dropped into my heart a sentence. A few words, a God thought that was so much a part of my overflow that it directed my entire life that direction. When was the last time out of your overflow came a clear word, voice, confirmation and direction to your life? A.W. Tozer, great commentator in ages past, said it this way. The Holy Spirit speaks to thirsty hearts whose longings have been wakened by the touch of God within them. I want your longings to be awakened today that you might just desire 
a word to come in and through you and around you so much, so clear that you would actually be able to say, which people kind of use as a cliche in Christian circles and churches so many times, oh, God said to me, God spoke to me. You know, God has really spoken to my heart. And we just kind of take that. Not even, we don't even stop to ask the person, what, what does that mean? When did that happen? It's just kind of a thing we say. Well, God spoke to my heart. You know, the Lord's been speaking to me lately. My son, who's up somewhere else now and doing some spiritual training, he texted me yesterday. And he says, Dad, God is talking with me about, and he told me. So I text back. How is God talking to you, boy? What do you mean? So he texts back again. Well, I just feel in my heart that this, and he started explaining himself. Now, he's only 18 years of age. This is the beginning for him, and he actually said that to me in the text. He says, I'm just 18. Don't expect me to answer your theological questions. (laughs) He said, I just know what I feel. Well, I wasn't questioning what the boy felt. I was trying actually just to do a little bit of discipline to say, how did the thought come, son? Where did you get that thought from? Why would you say to me, I feel in my heart that God is putting this? Well, people say that all the time. But there are a lot of people who don't say it, don't have it, and don't understand it. There's a lot of people that would love to have a God nudge, a God impartation, a God thought, and a God word to come to their heart in such a way they would say, this is a God thing. And I know that God has spoken to my heart. But the voice of God is not easy for them to come by. The voice of God is not something they easily get a hold of and pull right into here. But I think after today, many of you will have a better grasp on this, and you might have a hunger to actually stop and do a few little very simple things I'm going to tell you to do in order to fill your heart with overflow and hear the voice of God. How many of you right now would say, Pastor Frank, this is a good idea for me? All right, take this definition down. If you're a hungry heart, you should be a fast writer. In our church, you need to open your Bible, and you need to take notes, and you need to be, need to be involved in the message. I don't like people spectating around here. If this is your home church, take notes. Read the Bible. Repeat after me. Don't just gawk at me like a cow looking at the fence. You've got to get in to the message, all right? That's what we're all about. So you kind of bump your neighbor and say, wake up. This is the house of God. Listen to the word. Even if you don't understand the word, you will never understand the word if you don't get into the word and listen to someone speak. And whatever you do, turn your phone off while I speak. Do not be texting people while I speak. That offends me. And if I get offended, I don't know what to do. Because I'm supposed to love you so much. If I get offended, I go, what will I do? Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. I forgive you. If you happen to text, that's your problem. But please try not to. Okay, now back to the message. Well, that was very much part of the message. The heart. Define it. Here it is. The heart is the inner spiritual man inside each person who is born again. Full stop. Think about it. The heart is the inner spiritual man inside each person who is born again. If you're not born again, you don't have the package I'm talking about. You cannot do what I just preached and am preaching. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, join to your spirit as one spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.16. If you're not born again, according to John 3, where you are born again and your spirit actually inherits the Lord Jesus Christ right into your spirit being. 
and you are turned into another person. It's called conversion, transformation, regeneration, justification, whatever word you want to use. It speaks about something changes in you. If something has never changed inside of you, you have never been born again. To be born again, you have to change your heart. That is the Holy Spirit in you. Ezekiel 36, verse 25 through 27 speaks about this. There's a lot of scriptures that speak about what happens to the heart. When I come to Christ, not the heart that pumps blood, but my inner being, my spirit, soul, and body, my spirit and my soul, my mind, will, and emotions with the human spirit that gives life. When those are joined together with the Holy Spirit, a new person is created called the inner man. And that new person is the heart that I'm talking about right here. It has what? Spiritual senses. That is, when I'm born again, I begin to develop an inner man. And many scriptures confirm this. The inner man can see, hear, feel, know, understand, grasp, reason. And it's not the natural man. 1 Corinthians deals with the natural man. Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 5 deals with the natural man versus the spiritual man. There's a lot of scriptures on this. 1 Peter 3 speaks about the person who needs to develop the, the internal beauty of their life with their inner man. We have an inner man. When we're born again, we begin to grow. And we begin to see things differently, hear things differently, feel things differently, and make decisions based on those things that we understand Through the Holy Spirit. Now, your inner man has the ability to hear. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. Notice, eyes enlightened, understanding, know. Your heart, your spirit man, needs to be filled with faith and expectation and a leaning forward to hear, we're just talking about the one faculty this morning, the hearing one, that you can hear from your overflow the voice of God. Now, I'm going to give you five simple scriptures on the overflowing heart that prepares to hear the voice of God. Number one, Proverbs 4.23. Notice the key word in each one of the five verses. Number one, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart. With all diligence, keep your inner person. Whatever you do, guard that inner man. That's what Proverbs 4.23 teaches us. Guard it. Be very careful. Build a hedge around your heart. Why? Because out of it, there's a spring. And the Hebrew root word here has an interesting point to it. And it simply means the spring, the word here for out of it, springs the issues of life. The word spring is the starting point. It's the source. It's the starting point of the flow. Whatever the starting point looks like, the river will become. If there's a starting point that's rooted in God and the Holy Spirit in purity, if there's a starting point that can be recognized as a God starting point, a God part in you, everything from that starting point will take on a brand new flow. So the Bible says, guard your starting point, because you will not be able to deny the power of the flow in your life, because once it begins to flow, it will define everything about you. It becomes the source of your life. Matthew twelve thirty four uses the word abundance. For out of the abundance, the word abundance is surplus, overflow. What is on top? That which will come out no matter what happens. You cannot push it down far enough to hide it. It will begin to flow out. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Number three is Luke 6.45. Here it uses the word treasure. So I have a spring, a starting point. I have a surplus. And I hope my surplus is righteous and the flow of God. And I also have treasure that has something been deposited into my life. Luke 6.45. And that treasure is my inner storehouse. And out of that storehouse, I bring forth my treasures. And those treasures begin to define again who I am. Number four is John 7.38. For out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And this spake of the Holy Spirit, the flow. I want you to write down the word flow. So there's some kind of a stream, a gush, an artesian well. And, and the word here actually means there's a surge. There's a surge that comes out of you. Well, there's many things that causes that surge. Sometimes it's a shake-up. Sometimes it's a, a, a crisis. Uh, other times it could be just a high time in God. And you just have a surge. Something inside of you just kind of flows out. You, you feel it probably sometimes in, in a church service like ours. Sometimes you just feel kind of a, a surge and a... And a uh, 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 a desire, uh, all of a sudden you might have a tired body and a kind of a funny mindset and you might come in a little discouraged, but during the worship and the presence of God begins to rototill you and something reaches down inside of you and starts stirring up your well and, and your starting point and the spring that's down there is a good spring because the Holy Spirit's in you and before you know it, you have a surge, you have a gush just to lift your hands and call on the name of the Lord. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Well, that's a great surge to have. Think if you never had a surge. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God for surges. Thank God for a surge. Number five is a very, very interesting verse. Psalms 45, verse 1. My heart is overflowing. Now remember, our theme this morning is, I will have an overflowing heart. That's one of my declarations for life. Psalms 45, 1 says, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. With a good theme. Life is not an event-orientated journey. Events happen. But life is a journey of many, many, many hundreds of actions and events and decisions and relationships and things that happen. But every person has a theme. And when life is over, you can't hide the theme. If you have a theme of loyalty, it will stick up all through your life. They're loyal. Oh, they're loyal. They're trusted. They're loyal. They're trusted. They're loyal. You know, they were in that situation. They were very loyal. You know, they were there. They were very loyal. They worked for so-and-so. They were very loyal. And your whole theme of life is loyalty. Or giving. Oh, they're a giver. All through their life. They've always, in every situation, been such a giving person. Serving. Lying. Cheating. Selfish. Double-minded. You think of them and you think, I'd never marry him because he's so double-minded. You've watched him for five years, and as a young woman, you look at him. You're not looking at one thing he did. You're looking at a theme park. You're looking at a theme he's already developed in his life. And you're saying, I won't date that man because he's so unstable. He's so double-minded about everything. It's not just one thing. It's going to the restaurant. What do you want to eat? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, what, do you want some coffee? I don't know if I want coffee. Well, you want tea? I, I haven't drank tea for a long time. You want a soft drink? No, I don't like sugar. Well, what do you want? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. It, it'll come down to ordering food. To Where are we going to go on a date? I don't know. Let's drive up the street. Let's go over there. Let's go. I don't know where we're going to go. That kind of a person you would shy away from and say, your theme is double-mindedness. You can't make up your mind. 
What is your theme? If you had to write down a theme for your life, what would the word be? Right now, write a word down. Right now, if you had to interpret the theme of your life, what one word would you put down? Would your theme be loving, serving, hot for God? What would your theme be? Well, your theme is tied in with your overflow. Because out of your overflow comes definition of who you are. And in the overflow is one of the most important parts of life. The voice in the heart. Now, take down four scriptures on just the voice of God. All right? Four scriptures on the voice of God. These scriptures simply tell me that the overflowing heart responds in certain ways. And you can put the slide up. The overflowing heart, number one, cries out to God. Number two, the overflowing heart believes it will receive answers. And number three, the overflowing heart hears the voice of God. And number four, the overflowing heart responds with intercessory prayer. Those are all in Psalm 27. Now, I'm just dealing with the third one. The overflowing heart hears the voice of God. How does the overflowing heart hear the voice of God? And how do you get ready to dig out your heart to listen? Here's four simple little things. If you do them, I promise you, your life will change. Number one, Psalms 46 and verse 10. Be still. You want to hear the voice of God? You want your heart to be developed? You need to know how to quiet your heart before the Lord. Be still. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 62.5, my soul waits silently. Be still. Psalm 62.5, silently for God. Isaiah 30, verse 15, in quietness and confidence shall your strength be. You have to find a place where you know how to still yourself. Where you know how to quiet yourself. When you know how to put all the noises aside. I have a place like that. I have a life like that. I know when I have to do that. People always wonder where I get my strength. It's not just from being highly motivated and highly this. I get my strength from waiting upon the Lord. I know where my strength comes from. I cannot handle all the stuff that City Bible Church does. I can't make all the decisions we have to make. I can't carry all the loads that involve all of our campuses and stuff we do and overseas. And I mean, it's a multitude of layered hundreds of decisions that need to be made. And I could be pushed into such an administrative mode or a worry mode or a finance mode or whatever kind of a mode that I would never have time just to still myself. And so I have to go into my office at my house and I go through a routine. I have to get still. I close the door. I turn off the music. There's no sound. I sit in my chair and I begin to still my heart before God. I begin first to talk to my mind. Because my mind says, make a phone call, text that person, email him, get that fax right there, because all that stuff's on my desk. And don't forget, these letters have to go out. And what about this letter should have been written? And this person's leaving the church because they're offended. You never called them. And you know, you got some financial trouble over here. And you know, this person, I mean, I could have, every time I sit down, if I give my mind five minutes, my mind has me going every which direction to get all these things done. And so I have to stop and I have to say to my mind, mine, I'm in control of you. And right now, turn it off. Shut up and sit down. I say to my mind, say to your mind, shut up and sit down. Sometimes you have to talk to your mind. So I try to quiet my mind. 
I try to quiet my heart. I try to get myself in a place where I can be still. How many of you understand our society is not built on being still? And our society is not built on being quiet. You cannot get into your car without turning on the radio, flipping in something, talking on your phone, doing your email. Some people do text, email, and phone all at the same time. If they have everything at their fingertips, they're doing everything at the same time. No matter where they're at, they have to have that noise coming in and through them and around them because that's the American way. But that is not the way of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has to have a quiet place in you. Number two, this is Bible. Learn how to sit before the Lord. Second Samuel seven eighteen, and David went in and he sat before the Lord. And David said, Oh Lord, this is too much for me. He just received some amazing prophetic promises and he said, This is too much for me. I mean I'm overwhelmed and whoa, this is a challenge. Why me, oh God? So he just went into the tabernacle. And to sit in those days means he knelt on his knees and leaned back on his heel. They didn't have a chair. In tabernacle to sit, what David did was a form of prayer. He would just sit before the Lord. You'll find other times David went and laid down before the Lord. You'll find many guys in the Bible learn how to sit before God and just say nothing, do nothing, just sit. You don't bring in your supplication. You don't bring in your prayer list. You don't bring in all of your, your, your requirements for prayer. You just come and sit before the Lord. Now, when I do that, I might turn on worship music and I might mumble some prayers and just sit and I might soak in the presence of God and I just try to meditate on some things I know I need to meditate on and I just sit before the Lord. Why? Because my spirit is like a battery. If you would picture your spirit like a battery and the throne of God is the other end that has the cables and the cables come down and hook onto your battery so you can recharge. That's what sitting before the Lord is like. You are recharging your batteries. And some people don't know how to recharge or they never recharge. And their battery goes down and down. And so when God wants to speak, there's no volume in the heart because there's no electricity flow. There's no power left. To even get the voice of God up to here, they haven't recharged their batteries. You need to recharge your batteries. Find a place. Number three, a solitary place. This is a place of seclusion without other voices. Silence. Where God can unmistakably just speak. Okay, Frank, I'm ready for God to speak. How will He speak? Number four, this is how God will come. Number three is Mark 135. Number four, how will God come to me? I want to learn his voice. First Kings 19, 11 and 12. Elijah, he needs the word of God so badly right now. He said, go out. This is God speaking to Elijah. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And I'll, I'll pass by because Elijah was saying, I need to hear from you. God says, go out and stand and I'll pass by. You'll hear, you'll hear from me. So Elijah went out in front of the mountain and it says, and the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore into the mountain and broke all the rocks in pieces. And Elijah said, oh, thank you, God. This is, God says, uh, excuse me, boy, but uh, I'm not in the wind. Okay, Lord, what else? And after that, an earthquake came and shook the mountain. And Elijah said, oh, God, thank you for the earthquake. God says, uh. Not in it. It's really exciting, isn't it? I mean, to feel the power from an earthquake. But that's not me. Really? Okay, Lord, what else? 
It says in my Bible, yours, and after the earthquake, a fire, a consuming, massive, supernatural fire hit the mountain. And Elijah said, you're the God of fire. You've always revealed yourself in fire. Thank you, Lord. And God says, oh, sorry, but uh, no, I'm not in the fire. Not this time, not for you. Elijah says, if you're not in the wind, you're not in the earthquake, you're not in the fire. God, I need, I need something really clear here. And after the fire, number four, a still, small voice came to Elijah. And in that moment, Elijah heard the pivotal turning point word of his entire life, which is the word he didn't want to hear. But it's the word that came. And it wasn't in the wind or the earthquake or the fire or all these experiences out here or the strength of them. It was in this still, small voice. Now, in the whole Bible, not one place in your Bible does God describe himself as still or small. Still small do not go with God. At least in our mind. God says, I'm going to do something a little different here. See, my voice is so powerful, it only just needs a whisper. Why would you whisper to someone? I'll tell you why you whisper to someone. Because if you whisper and they say, huh? What was that? I need to to talk to you about something. What? If you whisper, the person has to get closer and closer to hear you. So God doesn't shout so Elijah can be on top of the mountain. God says, hey, come here. Huh? Come here. What do you want? I'm going to tell you something. Get close. Then that still small voice comes. And that voice is so powerful, it can be like a mustard seed drops into your heart and explodes your whole world. It's called the atomic mustard seed. (laughs) Driving up from Eugene. To meet with Dick Iverson in a time of decision-making that would change my entire life. About starting the church fellowship, whether I start one with him or I start one by myself. This years ago, but it was one of the most pivotal moments of my life. I'm driving up to Portland, and that mustard seed fell into my soil. And it was just seven or eight words. Serve another man's vision. Which is something I always said I would never do. God said, serve his vision, serve another man's vision. You do it. And that mustard seed fell down into the cracks, atomic coating on it, and then it exploded and ruined my whole world. I had to pull my car over. This is no kidding. Pull my car over to the side of the road, and the mustard seed started exploding more, and chemical reaction in my spirit, and I start crying, and I start 
saying to God out of my mind, this is not fair. I don't want to do this. I want to do what I want to do. Let him do what he wants to do because these are my churches and I planted them and this is where we're going and I'm talking to God. The mind does not always understand the voice. Sometimes we flat out argue. But how many know that God doesn't get worried? Oh, no, they're arguing. Oh, no, what should I do? Frank, I'll take it back. I'll take it back. Don't worry, Frank. Don't worry. No, I won't make you do this. Don't worry. I'll take it back. That was close. I almost upset him. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. God drops in the mustard seed, lets it explode. He goes his way to create a few more galaxies somewhere and comes back to see you later. You don't make him nervous when you have to talk it out. He wins. Still small voice. And I want you to read these seven declarations out loud. These are the seven ending declarations of this message this morning. These are not the first seven that I gave you. These are the last seven. I will cleanse my heart from all the unnecessary clutter. I will fill my heart with the words and thoughts of God. I will fill my heart with the presence of God. I will fill my mind with the things of God. I will fill my heart with meditation and reflection. I will fill my heart with faith and new vision. And I will live with a full, overflowing heart. 